Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio for today. I want to talk about three things today. One, the rapture. Is it imminent? Two, is your happiness your spouse, your wife, your, your husband? Are they the ones responsible to make you happy? I'm here to say no. And lastly, what exactly is it that should make you happy about God? Well, we're going to explore that from the pages of your Bible. Let's go directly to Revelation 3 and verse 10, for example. We're going to see what should make for happiness here. Now, this is talking to the Church of Philadelphia. Now, th these are all in Turkey, believe it or not. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, uh, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. See, God is watching us. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have a little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Now that is a clue and a key right there. And that's what we ought to do if we're going to be happy. We have obeyed my word, that is Christ's word, and not denied him. Verse 9, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but aren't really, to come and bow down at your feet. Would that make you happy if your enemies came and bowed down to you? Well, there's more than one way to do that. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. That's what it means to be happy, to be loved by Jesus and by God. He says in verse 10, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. You notice that? It is those who belong to this world that he's coming to test, not you, not me. Why? Because we have obeyed his command to persevere. He wouldn't have said that if we didn't have to persevere through something. Like what? persecution. This is what Christ is trying to tell us in Matthew 24. Let's take a look at that a second. And let's start in verse 21. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. See, we're not expecting that. 
We're not expecting to have to persevere or endure to the end. No, we are expecting to be raptured any second now, any minute, like it could happen today, at any time, in the blink of an eye. Well, is that what he meant? Hmm. Let's go on. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. That time of calamity. Well, what time of calamity? The great tribulation. Look, in verse 10, he says this. Well, let's start in 9. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Wait a minute. We're going to be killed? He's talking to his disciples. We're one of those disciples. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers, he says. Verse 10, Matthew 24, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Oh, brethren, I hope and pray that it is not you or me that betrays another Christian. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Well, it's increasing, so when will it end? The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 13, Matthew 24. This good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it then the end will come. Did you catch that? The good news about the kingdom is not being preached today. It is not being preached today because they say, no, 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 no. The kingdom is in your head. It's, it's, it's within you. And you're going to heaven when you die. We're all going to heaven. We, we want to go be with the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, yeah, in a manner of speaking, because there is a resurrection coming, and when we die, we go to sleep. Well, we don't know what goes on all night long while we're asleep. Death is like sleep. That's referred to many places in the Bible. So, no, we're not going to heaven when we die. No, we're going to sleep and wait for the resurrection. So the next thing we know, we will be present with the Lord. We go to sleep, we wake up, he's right there in front of us. That's the way it'll be in truth, if you ask me. And you can read the rest of Matthew 24, but let's see how that compares with Mark and Luke, the other two Gospels that talk about end times, in other words, prophecy. So let's flip on over to Mark 13 here, and we'll start in verse 19. Mark 13, 19. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, 
Not a single person will survive. Wow. But, you know, the preachers say, no, we'll be out of here. We won't be around to see that. Well, we may not be around to see that, but for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened the days. Then, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out, for I have warned you ahead of time about this. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will give no light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I'm here to say that none of those things have happened yet. Let's go on a little bit. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, on the clouds, with power, great power, and glory. Now we're in verse 27. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones, that's hopefully you and me, from all over the world, from the farthest ends of earth and heaven, unquote. Well, did we see that in Matthew 24? Let me, I don't think we read that part of it, but let's do that. Okay, verse 29. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. This isn't a secret rapture. No, 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 no. Now, this is so evident that every eye shall see him. If every eye sees him, he will have great glory. When you're the only one on stage and there are millions of people that have come to see you, guess what? That's glory. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby... So these signs will indicate that the end is nearer. What signs? The sign of Jesus shining like lightning in the sky that shines from east to west. Then verse 29. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Well, the powers of the heavens is the weather, and it'll be disrupted or destroyed. The stars will fall from the sky. What does that mean? Well, you know that, and I've said this many times before, stars are suns like our sun. It can't fall. It can't fall. But, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jesus said the stars will, will fall from the sky. Yes. Well, what's he talking about? I'm going to give you my take on this. First, let's talk about the sun being darkened. What's going to darken it? As I've said many times, there's going to be World War III, and it'll be over the oil fields of Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, United Arab Emirates, Iran and Iraq and Kuwait, all over that region where there's lots and lots of oil. What's going to happen if they nuke that out, if that war is a nuclear war, 
they're going to explode many craters over the oil fields, which will be set on fire. You know that the oil there is under pressure? Do you know that it's on top of the ground in Iraq and Kuwait? It's on top of the ground forming pools. It's gurgling and burgling up from the center of the earth and coming out there and forming these pools, these lakes, these many ponds of oil. When that gets set on fire with the nuclear blast, there will, there will be huge billows of clouds of smoke that will fill the atmosphere. Gradually, day after day, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give no light. That's the words of Christ himself in Matthew 24, 29 and Luke 21, 24 through 28. We'll read that in a minute. But these stars are the satellites that keep the Internet alive. How do you hear my voice? By the Internet. Well, the stars are those satellites. They look just exactly like stars at night. Except for one thing, they travel. The regular stars do not travel, at least not that fast. But every 10 minutes or so, you can see a satellite buzz by they're way, way up there. They're miles up there. There's engineers in South Africa, in Arabia, in Spain, in the United States, in South America, in Australia, in Japan, and all over. They're in Thailand and India and China and Iran and all over the place. There are engineers employed to keep those satellites in the proper orbit and at the right height and distance from one another. How's that done? Retro rockets are cued by radio signals. These retro rockets fire, and they, they make slight course adjustments to avoid collision, usually. Not always. Sometimes they do hit. When they hit, it's wasted millions and millions of dollars because those satellites come down and they are destroyed. It's time to wake up to these realities. We have some trouble heading our way. But it's after this that the Son of Man appears, and then... He will send out his angels, verse 31, Matthew 24, with the mighty blast of a trumpet. It's not secret. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of heaven and earth. And Mark 13 gets this order just exactly the same way. Verse 21. If anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive even God's chosen ones. Verse 24, at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. 
Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world. So see, it's after the sun is darkened that we get gathered. Not before. It's not imminent. We have a lot of things that have to happen before this occurs. It's just that plain. Now let's go to Luke chapter 21. And let's start in verse 24. They will be killed by, and this is talking about anger against this people, and I believe he's referring to the Jews. There will be great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. Well, Jews are the only ones who aren't Gentiles. It will be trodden down. Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. Verse 25, Luke 21. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. See, he doesn't get into the detail that Matthew and Mark do. And here on earth, nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So, actually, it does say those things. It's just not quite as clear. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So, when all these things begin to take place, to happen, look up, for your salvation is near. Unquote. So, that's when the rapture, quote-unquote, occurs. After all of those things, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give her light, the stars or satellites will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken or interrupted. That is, the weather. We can't eat food without the weather. If there's no rain, there's no crops. And our animals can't eat nothing. They have to have food. Grass won't grow without sunlight. The sunlight's going to be blocked. We don't seem to think about things very deeply. In America, we don't really do our homework, and we should. Let's flip on over for a second to 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. He's not coming when we expect him. If he's imminent, you know, if every prophecy teacher or pastor says that the Lord can come at any second, poof, he'll be here. Well, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. We're expecting him now. He's not coming now. He's coming when it's unexpected. We will think it's too late. God's not coming back 
we're all going to die. Well, no, we're not. God, thankfully, is coming back to rescue his people and start the world over. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I'm reading from the NLT, which is one of my favorite translations. But verse 11, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? So what kind of people should we be? It's like this. If you want to have a happy marriage... Don't let your spouse be the one on that pedestal. Don't make an idol out of your wife or your husband. And make them responsible for your happiness. They are not responsible for your happiness. No, that's not the way to have a happy marriage because it's too much. It's too much pressure on them to try to make you happy. No, let God be the one that makes you happy and your marriage will be happy because your happiness comes from him, not from your wife or your husband. A lot of people don't realize that, but that's the problem in marriages today that we look to our spouse to make us happy. They can't do it. But what makes us happy about God? And what is he doing that creates this happiness? Well, let's go over to Hebrews 12.2 for a second, and then we'll go on to um, Hebrews 2.10. Verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Who's on that pedestal? Well, God, Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And why did he do that? Why does he do that? Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and, obviously, its pain. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You see that? He is your happiness. Focus on him. Put him on that pedestal. Take your wife or husband off that pedestal. Don't expect them to be able to make you or keep you happy. If you do, guess what? They also have the ability to make you unhappy. God will never make you unhappy. No, he will keep you happy. And I'm going to show you why. Now let's go to Hebrews 2.10. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children to glory. Bingo. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. 
You see, Jesus is in the business of bringing children into glory. That's what gives him that joy. He focused on you and me and wants us in his kingdom. Putting us in his kingdom is his joy. And that's why he put up with the cross. He left his home in glory, came down here to earth so that he could suffer death once for all, so that you and I wouldn't have to face the penalty of our sins ourselves. Someone's paid the bill ahead of us. It's Christ. So we don't have to pay that penalty. That's a great thing. That's huge. And he did it so that his joy would be full, and he wants ours to be as well. Let's go to John 16 and verse 24. We'll see that. In verse 20, he says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly be turned to wonderful joy. Exactly. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought forth a brand new baby into the world. And they do bring a lot of joy. Verse 22. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice. In other words, Jesus is going to die and be resurrected and show himself to them, and then they will rejoice. And no one will ever take you away from that happiness. The way it puts it here, and no one can rob you of that joy. Wow. And at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. Well, that means we do what he would do if he were in your shoes. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. And isn't that what we wanted our spouses to do? No, we, we have joy because of God and what he's up to, building this kingdom and putting us in it. Can you imagine that? Can you think about that? It's a government that's going to solve all the problems of the world. Every last one of them. No more crime, no more trouble, no more hatred, no more war, no more, no more violence, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more corruption in government or corporations, no more exploitation, no more sex trafficking, None of that. It's all going away. So that's our joy. We should focus on that and on Christ and what he's up to and what God is doing in the universe. We have a marvelous future coming, a great future indeed. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. You can go to my website. I don't have to sell anything there. 
But there's lots of things there that you can see and do and hear and grow in faith. That's the design of the website. Nothing for sale. Not a single advertisement is there. Itellwhy.com is the address. And until next time, I hope you have a great day, a great marriage, and a great future in honor of Jesus.